Hello, and welcome to the Responsive Family Sleep Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Hawley, holistic sleep coach, lactation consultant, peaceful parenting educator, and mom. If you've ever felt overwhelmed by all the conflicting sleep info, frustrated with sleep information that just plain felt wrong, or searched desperately for a truly gentle and responsive sleep approach, then you are in the right place. In each episode, we'll be answering your most pressing baby and toddler sleep questions, busting those sleep myths, and helping you understand truly developmental, biologically normal baby and toddler sleep plus encouraging you to trust your intuition along the way. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode. We are talking about one of my favorite topics, bed sharing. Now, bed sharing or co-sleeping is quite the controversial topic in the U.S., and therefore, I'm sure you get a lot of opinions thrown at you about bed sharing, especially if you are bed sharing. Now, I just want to do a bit of defining of terms first. So co-sleeping, which is often interchanged with bed sharing, they actually mean slightly different things if we're getting nitpicky in in the literature. So co-sleeping is sleeping near your baby, but you could be co-sleeping and baby could be on a separate surface. So when I'm saying bed sharing, I'm really speaking about you and baby you know, sharing the same sleep surface. And I know a lot of people inter, inter, interchange co-sleeping with bed sharing, and that's totally fine. Uh, I just want you all to kind of think about that co-sleeping can actually technically be baby, you know, in a sidecar or, or right near you. So bed sharing is like I said, quite the controversial topic in the U.S. And yet bed sharing guidelines and thoughts really do vary from culture to culture. So I think we need to acknowledge this right up front that in the U.S., the Academy or the American Academy of Pediatrics does not recommend bed sharing, right? However, other professional bodies and other countries have different stances on bed sharing. And so in the AAP, it's not just that they don't recommend bed sharing, they actively recommend against bed sharing. Versus countries like the UK and and parts of Canada and Australia have taken a much more risk reduction approach, meaning that, you know, maybe they're not saying, hey, everyone should bed share, which everyone really shouldn't bed share. But they are saying, hey, people are going to bed share. And if they're going to bed share, we need to talk about how to bed share safely. And who's at more risk? And what does safe bed sharing even look like? And, you know, acknowledging that bed sharing is culturally normative in a large portion of the world. And that it's culturally insensitive not to talk about safe bed sharing. And so we get these differences, right? We're kind of an abstinence only when it comes to bed sharing. Other other countries are taking a much more nuanced view, which you know doesn't really surprise me as someone with a background in public health, but that's a conversation for another day. So bed sharing is actually probably the most biologically normal way to sleep with a baby is sharing sleep together. And it is certainly the cross-cultural and historical norm. Uh, most uh, kids bed share for years around the world and you know throughout human history, Families have all communally slept together. This is just normal for our species. And so 
we get this shift away from bad sharing um, for a whole bunch of historical reasons, but that's, you know, really a modern Western concept that bed sharing isn't, isn't normal, right? Or isn't good or isn't healthy or could cause problems or, or any of the number of things that you tend to hear about bed sharing. So bed sharing is, is normal. It is something that parents do regardless of the messaging. I think that's another really important point, especially if you're listening to this podcast episode and are like, I don't want a bed share, Kim. Like, this isn't really what I want to do. So the research shows us that most parents do do some bed sharing, especially nursing parents. So you might be going, okay, why, right? Well, because it makes nighttime care easier. Um, It makes breastfeeding, nursing easier. And, you know, if you're exclusively breastfeeding, you actually get more sleep bed sharing, at least at a population level. I know some of you listening to me right now might be like, hmm, I don't know about that. But when the research really supports that exclusively breastfeeding, you know, families really do get more sleep when baby's sleeping super close. So bed sharing is a really lovely tool for a lot of families. Of course, it's not a universal perfect tool. It doesn't work perfectly for every family. And honestly, not all families should bed share. Not all families have the same, you know, safety or or risk profiles. And that's a really important part of thinking about bed sharing. I think it's important for everyone to know what's normal and that it's healthy and that you can always stop bed sharing at some point and your baby's not going to be stuck in your bed forever. And that it's really normal for kids to want to come into your bed and, you know, share that closeness well past the the baby years, right? It's normal for toddlers to want to. It's normal for big kids to want to climb into bed with you and snuggle up. Like this is a normal part of humanity. And yet we can also work away from it and set limits around it with older kiddos and things like that. So I want to normalize that for everyone. And I think it's important to talk about the safety and um, risks, right? What things might make bed sharing less safe? What makes it safer? So the official guidelines, as official, I guess, as you can get with, with bed sharing, are really geared towards babies. And some of them are really important, you know, for younger toddlers as well. And, and some of them become a little less important. But as with most safe sleep guidelines, they're designed to keep our youngest our youngest bed sharing littles uh, safest. So I am going to go through who's safest or safer bed sharing using the structure from uh, La Letelie Safe Sleep 7. And this is a wonderful article that I will link in the show notes. It also comes from their book, Sweet Sleep, which I'll also note down in the show notes. And it's just a nice way of grouping, a really evidence-based way of thinking about who can bed share safer. So uh, we have a parent who is nursing, sober, and a non-smoker. We have a baby who is healthy and full-term, on their back when not nursing, and lightly dressed and not swaddled. And then we have a safe sleep surface. So that's just the overview, right? Sort of three things with mom, three things, or three things with parent, three things with baby. Last seventh is the surface. So nursing, right? A nursing parent. So baby needs to see your chest, the breast, as a 
primary food source. It doesn't mean you have to be 100% exclusively only nursing, but it needs to be enough that baby is gravitating towards, towards your chest as that, as that sort of central space. Parent is sober. This is not just about did you have a glass of wine or margarita with your dinner, though alcohol consumption is a piece of it. It's like, are you taking any substances that would make you sleep more deeply and less aware of baby in the bed? So anything that has like drowsy as a side effect is going to be a piece here, as well as being extremely sleep deprived less than four or five hours total sleep in the previous 24 hours, then ideally we're getting you some sleep first before your bed sharing. Parent is a non-smoker, right? And that includes people in the immediate household, right? We don't want baby bed sharing with a parent who is a smoker or who was exposed to smoke in utero. So it's about smoke exposure during pregnancy and smoke exposure afterwards. It, it really does affect baby's ability to, to arouse during sleep to wake themselves up. And so that's, that's important. So for baby, they are healthy and full term. And here we're thinking about risks around being preterm, right? And, and low birth weight. And these babies are at increased risk when it comes to bed sharing. And we don't actually know when those risks might even out. Like we don't just don't have the research around it. And so it's one of those things that as a parent, you're going to have to use your common sense, right? Because we don't know, is it is it their due date? Is it three months? Is it six months? Is it a year? Like we just don't know. And so there's going to be a lot of different factors that shape how you would individually think through that. And baby needs to be on their back when not nursing. So a lot of bed sharing families sideline nurse at night, right? So you just kind of baby rolls to the side latches. Some families can even do this like basically in their sleep. And so, I mean, that's totally fine. And then ideally baby's rolling back to their back <laughs> after they're, they're done nursing. And baby is lightly dressed and not swaddled. So when you're sharing sleep with a baby, we want their, their arms free. We want them to be able to use their, their hands and feet to reposition themselves or bat, uh, you know, a sheet that maybe got pulled up too close to them off their face, that kind of stuff, just just in case. And to just be more aware of their edges and, and their surroundings. And that's important that they have access to their to their hands for that and their arms. And you also want to remember you're sharing body heat, right? Baby is generally tucked up right next to you. And so they're going to be dressed a little bit differently than if they're in a crib separate from you right? Because you aren't sharing body heat then. And we don't want babies to overheat when it comes to sleep. Now, sharing a safe sleep surface is a lot about how we troubleshoot the adult bed, right? Because the adult bed isn't designed around sleep safety like a crib is or a bassinet is. And so we have to modify it. And particularly like Western beds, high, full of lots of floofy stuff, soft bedding, that kind of stuff. There's a lot more troubleshooting to do there, right? As opposed to cultures who have maybe lower, more minimalistic um, sleep spaces. So when we think about what makes a crib safe, right? Like a firm mattress, uh, no extra bedding, no gaps, right? The baby could get wedged in, that kind of stuff. We're really applying that in many ways to the adult bed. And so thinking about first baby's position, 
Baby should be at chest height, right? Right where they would for sideline nursing. And many, many parents instinctively are going to take this cuddle curl position around baby. And it's essentially you on your side making a C around baby at your chest. So one arm is above baby's head, keeping them from getting into your pillow and inching up. And then your knees are pulled up below baby so that they're not able to wiggle down and you're not able to roll, right? You're in a little C shape and that area right around baby is free of bedding. And, and that, you know, kind of keeps them in their own little protected space. You know, there's different opinions as far as like some parents will clear all the pillows off the bed and all the covers and really, really go minimal. A lot of parents will have a pillow for themselves and maybe put a pillow behind their back or between their knees to help keep their body safe and supported or comfortable and supported and then make sure nothing's going in baby's space. And, you know, a few light covers pulled up to the waist, right? So you have covers. But I would take heavy covers off the bed. I would take, you know, quilts or duvets or comforters off the bed because we want to be thinking about if this gets in baby's space, how heavy it is it? How easy is it to breathe through? How would it be to push it off baby, you know, for baby to kind of bat it off their, their face? So kind of thinking through, what does this look like? Because you're troubleshooting, right? So in a bit more detail, we would want to, right, make sure baby's at their at chest height, on their back, unless they're nursing. We want to make sure the mattress is firm. And so if you are laying down next to baby and your mattress is so soft that it creates a big, you know, indentation that baby might roll into you and not be able to maintain their position, that's, that's too soft. If baby were to get on their tummy and not be able to reposition themselves, that's too soft. If baby were to get on their tummy and smoosh their face down into the mattress and it's so soft that it's conforming around their face, so their airway isn't clear, so they might be breathing in their own exhalations, that's too soft. And so we really want to be picking firmer mattresses. We really want to, I mean, in my opinion, probably avoid a lot of memory foam because this whole job is to kind of sculpt around you and we don't want things sculpting around babies, right? We want it to be firm and make it easy for them to reposition themselves. And and if they were to bury their face in it, it's not really burying into anything. We want to be mindful of gaps around the mattress. So uh, mattress and bed frame, mattress and, and footboard, mattress and headboard, mattress and nightstands. I mean, frankly, ideally, we're creating a floor bed and we're putting the mattress on the floor, pulled away from the wall. We want a perimeter around. So if baby is falling off the bed, which obviously ideally they're not, but we want to make sure that there is a good, you know, foot perimeter around. And if your bed is raised, right, that it's not a super long, long fall. And this is, of course, becomes more and more important as babies get more mobile and they're crawling and they're rolling um, and all that sort of crazy stuff that babies do. Uh, you want to, just like you would with the crib, do a perimeter check as far as cords, you know, dangling things, loose things, really making sure that there's nothing to get tangled up in. Dr. James McKenna, he's one of the leading researchers on maternal infant sleep in the U.S. and an amazing human. He recommends even like braiding or tying back really, really long hair in case your hair like wraps around your baby. You want to make sure the bed is, like I said, largely 
decluttered. So minimal pillows, minimal blankets, really just have what you need and make sure none of it is is super in baby space. Uh, We want to also be mindful of pets and other children. So for babies in the first year, if we're bed sharing with them, you don't want to have older children in their space. The official guidelines really say no, no other children. As a bed sharing mom myself, and as a sleep coach who supported a lot of bed sharing families, there are ways to make it safer to bed share with more than one kiddo. And that really comes from having an adult, you know, in between them and having the older child be aware enough and able to follow directions enough and understand enough that they are not getting in the baby's space because a a kid is still not very aware of their body. And so if you are bed sharing, really making sure that that you have a, you know, a toddler or a bigger kid that's not going to climb over you and get in baby's space because that is not safe. And that's why the guidelines really do say um, just to have you and baby. Uh, But there's also the practical element, right? That's just not always functionally going to happen. So we want to know how to make it safer. And pets just shouldn't be on the bed, right? Like we just shouldn't have babies and pets in the same sleep space. And so that's just, you know, we can't control what the cat's going to do and where they're going to lay or the dog. And even if we think they would never lay on top of baby, it's just, it's just not a good idea. So, you know, if there are ways in which your family can't meet the safe guidelines around bed sharing, then things like a sidecar can be a really great option, right? Baby's on a separate surface. That fourth side near you is down and so you can really still interact with them and it's worth putting the extra effort into getting them on their own and their own surface. So this might be a good idea, right? It might be better for you not to bed here if you are a smoker or you have smokers in the house. You know, if baby's been exposed to smoke. For a very young baby, if they're formula feeding, I think there's a lot of discussion now around like even if you're bottle feeding human milk or your formula feeding, can we replicate that sort of cuddle curl baby at chest height position? You know, with, with really younger babies, that nursing interaction is is really important. And as babies get older, they're more competent, right? And so it it's a little less essential. Uh, so if you have a soft mattress or we can't make the bed safe or we refuse to kick our pets out of the bed, you know, those types of things, then obviously it's not safe to bring them into bed with you. If you have a premature low birth weight baby, again, they're an elevated risk and we don't know when that changes. So it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be safe, especially when they're little, little. And you'd have to really feel that out when you could change that calculation. If you've had alcohol or taking any medications that make you more drowsy, right? We don't want a bad share. If you've had less than four or five hours of total sleep, less than five hours in the previous 24, not consecutive total. If you are that sleep deprived, you're considered neurologically impaired. And so we want to just get you caught up on a bit more sleep before you're in bed with baby. I want you to have that lovely synchrony that comes with parents and baby sleeping together so that you're aware of what's where baby is and what's happening. So I hope this helps you think through like what is what is safe, what is not safe, right? Bed sharing is such a lovely nighttime parenting tool. Honestly, it it was the one that sort of changed the playing field for me with my oldest. Like fighting bed sharing for the first four months was exhausting. And 
finally accepting and educating myself on bed sharing made a huge difference. Huge difference. And we bed shared with our daughter from day one. It's a really powerful tool. It isn't everyone's tool though. And don't let anyone make you feel like you have to bed share, right? If, if you can't because of a risk factor, that's okay. You can still be a responsive parent. If you hate bed sharing and you're a really light sleeper and it just does not work for your family, that's okay. You can still be a responsive parent, right? Bed sharing is not the only way to responsively support sleep, but it is a lovely tool. And because it is so villainized in the U.S., it's a tool that really needs some advocacy and support around it, both so you can do it with confidence and so that you know how to do it safely. And that's really, really what I want all parents to know, how to bed share safely so that if at three in the morning when you pull baby into bed out of desperation, which we know people do from the research, that you have some idea of what's safe and what's not. And if you're the family that wants to intentionally bed share purposefully all night long or half the night long, that you can do it with confidence, knowing that you're doing it safely. Thank you for joining me today. I hope this episode left you feeling more informed, confident, and encouraged on your sleep journey. And just a reminder before you go that nothing in this episode is individualized to your specific sleep situation, nor is it to be taken as medical advice. Take what resonates, ignore what doesn't, and check with your healthcare provider about any medical concerns. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast so that you'll never miss an episode. And take a moment to rate, review, or share an episode you love on social media. All of that helps parents just like you find me, this podcast, and this gentle and responsive sleep information. I'll see you next time.